We become a race of peeping Toms. Something happened. Something was happening. I had no idea. Where is her treacherous husband now? But in a place where she can visit if she wished. Mine! It's with the ancestors! I'm yeah, I'm drinking, Luann. How can you hold cake and not eat it? Oh, shit, you guys got coke here. Oh, my God, of course. I mean, I know to you I'm just your old fat Aunt Maddie Faye. I'm more than that, sweetheart. These are godless times, Mrs. Snell. You're all fucking boring. With your piddling grievances over nothing, you're all fucking boring. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Best Supporting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating and dissecting the performances of our favorite Best Supporting Actresses. My name is Nick Kachanov, and stand up for the lady you bore. And my name is Colin Drucker, and they put me in charge of the music. Oh. <laughs> shake a cocktail. Yeah. I actually poured a cocktail for today's episode. I'll shake it into the mic here I, I a little could, ASMR. Yeah, I could hear those ice cubes, and I was like, well, what are we drinking, an anti-Anne? What is this? I wanted to, you know, in honor of, I forgot that Paul Giamatti's character's name is Paul in this movie, but in mm. honor of Paul, um, I thought I had some Jim Beam downstairs, and I got excited. I was like, that's appropriate, but I couldn't find it. Um, clearly I didn't have any, but I had, uh, another type of like whiskey or something. And then I poured a little bit of amaretto in it as well too. So, and I put it on the rocks and it's really tasty. My goodness. We're going to have a saucy after show in about an hour. Um, yeah, I'm going to be crying in the kitchen in no time. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. Do we have a problem? Colin Edward Drucker. (laughs) Yeah, there Um, it is. You're going to have mascara on your eye. I can't wait. Oh, yeah. am I okay? Am I okay? <laughs> yeah, hide the car keys. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, we're not. Well, you know, it's appropriate that we're quoting uh, a recent addition to uh, the the canon of holiday themed episodes and movies um, yeah. because, you know, fishes, I think, should be a, uh, a yearly tradition. A staple. Yeah, uh, certainly for Miss Jamie Lee. Uh, but we are here to talk about another new addition to the holiday, uh, the holiday section of the blockbuster video of my heart. We are here to talk about 2023's Holdovers. 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 Um, to yeah. French on it. Holdovers. Um, yeah, Holdover. Holdover. I love a little Holdover, a little pig in a blanket. Yes. Um, yeah, so we're here to talk about the holdovers, and and in particular, of course, the uh, the name sweeping the best supporting actress category these days to find Joy Randolph, um, but of course also Paul Giamatti and and uh, Carrie Preston. I mean, there's uh, yes, there's some things to talk about, but um, so that's what we're gonna do. So we're gonna talk about them. Yeah, I mean, this is your. So I've seen it twice now. Um, I rewatched it again today, and this is your first time. And folks, if you remember, I don't know if I talked about it on the after show or the main app, but just in case, um, I, I will say this too because I was going back and forth. I do think it is Davine Joy Randolph because I heard Paul Giamatti say it in his Critics' Choice Award speech, and so many people have been like saying Davine and Divine. But I've heard more Davine this past week, so I'm going to go with that. I'm going to commit. Um, but the reason why, of course, we're bringing her up is because she is the BSA and she is sweeping these award shows, Colin. And I, 
even after this second viewing, I, I'm, I'm very happy and glad to be here to unpack this with you because I don't know how I feel. So I know that's a big sort of opening statement there. But um, what did you think of the holdovers or Davine Joy Randolph? Well, you know, we did talk about it a bit on the after show last week. So, yeah. you know, for those, you know, BS Atreons, you get a little bit of a sneaky preview um, of your thoughts on the holdovers. And I was like, okay, well, in some ways, you know, your initial reservations, I was like, well, then let's, then we got to do it. We got to, we got to see what we feel. Yeah. Um, and so I went in with an open mind because I was like, you know, it, it, even to the point of like, See if you could feel the opposite, just so that I didn't like, you know. Yeah, just I so welcome I it. I welcome you know? it. Yes. And, well, you know, God, I tried, but yeah. I pretty much came out of it feeling exactly the same way you did. I, I think that I, I would say overall, I like the holdovers. I like the character of Mary. I like. Davine Joy Randolph's performance, but I don't know if I quite understand why it's sweeping the category yeah. this year. I don't, I just never got that. And like, I I do feel like I've put a, a, a modicum of time into watching women win or be nominated for Best Supporting Actress awards and you know i gather some feelings and i just didn't get those feelings this time yeah i and like i think it's it goes without saying i think you're kind of getting or this is what you're trying to not trying to say you're saying it obviously but is that we're rooting for her i i this is a role that we would love like Mm -hmm. i she's in many ways i feel like she is the heart of the movie she's sort of like this um these like the the sort of neutral peacemaker or peacekeeper between the two men and you know she's she's grieving we love grief we love grief um and so there's so much going for this role and i i think it might be a little bit of the writing what are your thoughts on that i think it's i do think it's the writing it it, it's like you know, no one's exp- no one wants to just see this woman just like you know splayed out sobbing for two hours, but I felt like there was so much there. There was so much kind of underneath the surface that could have been there could have been more opportunities to really explore, and there could have been more opportunities to really like get a sense of like what this woman is experiencing, whose son has recently died. This is going to be our first Christmas without him. I mean, there's like. Again, like in some ways, it's more interesting to see a restrained take on that, to kind of see what mm-hmm. she did versus it being, I don't know, just some, you know, all about my mother. You know what I mean? Just sobbing on the stairs yeah, at the end yeah. all about my mother, you know, which I love, but we didn't, you know, I appreciated the take on the character here. But then we never really got, like, it, it, what it ended up doing was that they're, it never really felt like there were a lot of levels. And when I've seen people talk about this performance, they call out the like two and a half moments that do happen in this movie where she plays anything more than that level or is given anything more than that level. Yeah. I mean, we'll get to the kitchen scene because I do think that is the moment. And I was like, here we go. I was buckled in. I was I would my heart was open. I was like, this is this is what I've been waiting for. And then they fucking cut it short. 
I was like, what was the rest? What did the rest of that scene look like? She was just getting started and it was beautiful. I was like, if I could see more of that, I just wanted like three more minutes. I wanted her to start throwing shit across the kitchen and her grief and just like her pain. And I was, it just never got there. And I don't, I don't even think it's her fault, but like it's, it's the writing and it's kind of like the Boston accent was like, 85 to 90 percent there too and i was like why doesn't anyone else have a boston accent besides her but i was like whatever uh you know i'm there's so many thoughts going through my head trying to make like trying to make this work trying to make this like sort of equal what everyone has been talking about because i was excited yeah i'm still i think it's a it's a um this is like such a I feel like for like critics like uh, sort of um, rating movies and stuff when people say it's a fine performance mm-hmm. like I feel like that's just like the ultimate jab and I do think it's it's more than fine but it's not it's not exceptional it's not the performance that I feel is sweeping the category in my heart I mean I just I, I would say through so much of the movie I just kept thinking about either changes in the writing or alternate casting to bring out more nuances to this character. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, if this movie was made in like the early two thousands or like the late nineties, they would, they got like Loretta divine in this role. Oh my, you know what I mean? Oh, oh yeah. Um, you don't even have to even change the writing. Oh, I mean, there yep. was, and, and even like, I was just thinking like the whole time about like, and you know, no shade to, to Dave, I enjoyed Randolph, but like, I I just wasn't, you know, uh, if if it didn't have all this buzz, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, it was a good performance. Yeah, she was good in that. But it's it's in the lens of like, oh, she's she's the front runner for the Oscars. She just won, you know, the Golden Globe and, yeah, you know, like all these things. Um, and so from that point of view, it was like I started thinking about, man, like, what if this was Monique's big return? You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Um, like just thinking of like, I mean, cause I, I, I couldn't really get a sense of how old the character of Mary was supposed to be, but yeah. Um, you know, or like, uh, Regina Hall, not Regina King, who'd also be great yep. in this role, but Regina mm-hmm. Hall would yeah. be, I mean, I love her. Oh my God. She would be so good in this role. Like, I don't know. Uh, there was just, even Niecy Nash, Emmy winner oh, Niecy Nash, can you imagine? Absolutely perfect. Yes. Oh my god, I love yeah. Niecy Nash. I that would, yeah. I mean, she, we loved her in Getting On. She was so good at yes. that. Yes. So yeah, I think when it when my biggest takeaway was like, oh man, what if what if it was so and so in this role? Yep. Oh, you know, but it, it, if it didn't have all this awards buzz, if I wasn't being told it was, you know, just this heartbreaking, beautiful performance and there was all these, you know, moments and whatnot, I'd be like, yeah, you know, good for you, you know, Miss Randolph. But I just, I just don't know if I get it. It's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a Laura Dern in marriage story situation. I just don't get it. Yeah. And I mean, I think Laura Dern is she's the gold standard of like exactly that. Like, I just don't get it. It's like a career Oscar moment, but like it's not even. I don't think it's quite Laura Dern, but it is very close to Mm. that sort of category. And maybe I'm Mm -hmm. just being nice because, again, I'm rooting for her. Like, I think, you know, I think she's a great gal. 
I I know that she was uh, she's a Broadway gal too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I, what's not to love here? But I just, I just didn't love I it. Just don't oh, love God, it. God, I hate it. And I, I feel like you know, maybe I'll ask you this: like, um, what what was our we the year we started the podcast was the Laura Dern year, correct? Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. And then who won after that? Was it Ariana DeBose or am I missing a year? I think we're missing a year. I feel like Ariana DeBose won. At oh, the... Yoo Jung Yoon from Yoo Jung Yoon. Uh, Minari. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. And I was happy with that because she sure she had that great moment towards the end of she the movie. She had that table. Yeah. She had that table scene. Um, and yeah, like Laura Dern, like, I mean, I'm just never going to forgive. And that's just the way it is. Like, I'm never going to forgive giving somebody an award <laughs> For delivering a line like that, I just yeah, won't. five minute standing ovation at can for yeah. Laura Dern. I mean, like, and, come on, folks, right? And like Laura Dern could practically do do no wrong in my book except win an Oscar for Marriage Story. That's it. Yeah, and then I'm I'm also thinking again, what what's the story? What's the narrative here? Like, is did she lose a son in real life? Like, is there something that we just don't know about Davine Joy Randolph that is just like this like all powering connection to this role or that I don't know. I haven't found that yet. I just feel like, mm-hmm. yeah, give her a nomination, but like Miss Danielle Brooks, who like, I'll, I'll ask you this, like, since you've seen the color purple, I've yet to seen it yet. See it yet. What, what are your thoughts on the two of them? Well, I think if, if Danielle Brooks is kind of considered like the, the, you know, second place front runner for best supporting actress, you know, I, I can fully see it. Like she's, there's so many moments in that movie, especially towards the second half where man, like absolutely. Like Miss Sophia is, is a great character and she, she totally deserves a nomination. I mean, yeah, I, I would have been expecting that Taraji P. Henson and Danielle Brooks would be the front runners for best supporting actress. And I guess, I don't know. Is it, is it, uh, what's your snakes from Maestro? Carrie Mulligan is she in the Best Actress race or Best Supporting Actress? I think she's in lead. Yeah, I was just trying to pull up um, Gold Derby just to yeah. see like, what because I feel like who are the other? I know that there's like uh, Jodie Foster. I feel I feel oh, like we're missing yeah. like who else is in this race right now for Best Supporting Actress that we're just like missing, yeah. I guess. But it's um, pulling it up now. But I again, yeah, it's like even without seeing the color profile purple i know that daniel i would maybe prefer that performance over davine i it's, it's just there's just more there it's i mean yeah uh i am pulling up the gold derby list as well because yeah we need you know i don't need a pop-up gold derby what i need is your best supporting actress prediction yeah it's not the most user-friendly website I'll no. say this, especially on your phone my goodness i'm look it's it's like all right i found flashing. it well, one okay. we just talked about, Julianne Moore, is is in the running for Best Supporting Actress. Okay. okay. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, uh, Dave Andre Randolph, then Danielle Brooks, followed by Emily Blunt and Oppenheimer. Oh, um, yeah. I saw a clip of her in it. I was like, well, that was good, but, I, you know, I don't. Um, Jodie Foster in sure. Nyad. Uh, Penelope Cruz in Ferrari. Okay. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, uh, America Ferrara and Barbie. Uh, did I just say that? No, you did didn't. I say Penelope Cruz yeah. and Ferrari. Sorry, I think it was the same number of syllables. It was Penelope Cruz and Ferrari, America Ferrera and Barbie. 
I just got a little <laughs> lost. Yeah. Um, uh, Rosemond Pike and Saltburn. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Sandra Huller in the Zone of Interest, which I haven't seen, but I really want to see Anatomy of a Fall, uh, which she is, uh, I think, sort of in the running for Best Actress for. Uh, I mean, some of these, like Viola Davis was in a movie called Air. Okay. Yeah. Keon saw that. He loved it. Oh. He well, said she was great. Well, she's number 12 on the list. Uh, Vanessa Kirby in Napoleon, you know. Uh, Rachel Ooh. McAdams in Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. I. Oh, you know. I saw a lot of that, actually, yeah. Like on oh, really? Rachel McAdams. Yeah, I don't know why. I saw like a lot of TikTok love for that role, which is interesting. Yeah, I didn't see that movie, but I didn't hear anything bad about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I have to say, like, it's it's kind of a weird, I mean, like, a weird year you know patty lapone is number 16 for Bo is afraid actually Bo is afraid which was just like the guy who did hereditary it's like three of hours course. movie you know with joaquin phoenix but patty lapone parker posey and amy ryan were all in that mm-hmm. i don't know maybe i gotta check that out anyway uh point being i think there's also the matter of like when it comes to the race this year I mean, it's weird to say that there isn't big competition, given the fact that there's folks like Jodie Foster, Julianne Moore, Penelope Cruz, like people who've won Oscars before. Yeah. Um, but I would not be shocked at all if uh, Dave Joy Randolph won. But I think I at this point, I would give it to Danielle Brooks. Yeah, I don't know why she's at least not winning more. You know, yeah. like maybe just you know daniel brooks wins the bafta or something and like right. uh, you know maybe she'll win the sag I, it, it's just that i'm just so surprised that she's sweeping a, a lot of this and i don't know if it's i'm happy for the movie like i'm happy for paul giamatti i feel like he's like a dark horse for best actor we haven't even talked about him yet but i i'm, I'm glad for the success of this movie i i guess is what i'm trying to say but it is an interesting curveball into like the race here because we we've talked before at least last year about like what's the theme of these four actors you know we had jamie lee curtis and kihi kwan and michelle yo and who am i missing lena oh uh brendan frazier it's like the return it's like the comeback season mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i don't know what the theme is this year i feel like it's a little bit convoluted it's like if paul giamatti won best actor davine joy randolph and then maybe maybe emma stone um uh, yeah it's it's interesting yeah well i think you know this year you know last year for us was the year of the men but this year in terms of the oscars i actually think the race for best actor is probably the most interesting um yeah in terms of like cillian murphy for oppenheimer paul giamatti for holdovers uh bradley cooper for the Ma- for maestro jeffrey wright for american fiction um, Leonardo DiCaprio in Killers of the Flower Moon, Andrew Scott in All of Us Strangers, Coleman Domingo yeah. and Rustin. Like, there's a lot of like contenders. Yes. And then I feel like for Best Actress, uh, let's see. I mean, Emma Stone for Poor Things, Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, Carrie Mulligan for Maestro. Sam- Actually, you know, these are some, you know, yeah, there's some heavy hitters. Some heavy too, hitters yeah. there. Um, Sandra Huller from Anatomy of a Fall. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I, I don't know if Annette's going to get in there by the end for Nyad, poor thing, you know? <laughs> um, the, Dublin Zotrope already has, has has his post ready for that one. I think um, 
Best Supporting Actor is probably the least exciting because it just feels like it's Robert Downey Jr.'s year yeah. and it's kind of just cemented. There's always one or two that are like that. I know, like when it's either Robert Downey Jr. in like the the lead versus Ryan Gosling in, in Barbie, which is just... I don't need that. Yeah. I don't need that. I feel like he doesn't need that. He'd be like, guys, yeah. it's fine. Like I was good. But I don't think we need to go this far. Right. Like, I think th- this is just silly. This is like when everyone was pretending that Stacey Lane Matthews was so fierce. When you all knew that you were just pitying her. Like, okay. <laughs> um, I thought it was Couture. So Yeah, I mean, I thought it was Couture. It's like, <laughs> okay, well. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, all that to be said, that I feel like that's what happens some years. Is that it's just like, well. You know, the best of an okay bunch. But it's surprising when, especially, you know, with the color purple, it's just kind of like, huh, I I just thought that was going to be more of a sweep. I'm fascinated by it. And, and I know all the Taraji stuff is coming out and it just feels like the color purple has like this dark cloud over it and like just it mm. lost all its momentum and... I don't know. It just it's because you're right. It's like I I still haven't seen it, so I can't speak too much on it. But I do feel like when that was announced, I was like, oh, well, Fantasia is going to win Best Actress and mm-hmm. Taraji or Danielle for Best Supporting. Like, there's no question. Like, right. it's just it's one of those shows that are just like Celie always wins Best Actress. Like, whoever plays her, it's right. just like sort of written in the in the stars there. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's I it's. It's crazy to think like, oh, yeah, Fantasia might not even get nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, all that, all of that to frame our discussion of the holdovers. And indeed, you know, uh, good for you, Davine. But like, it, it's just going to be one of those years where, I mean, even so far, like the fact that we're like, there, there have been so many award ceremonies already. And I'm just kind of like, even with some of the other ones, I'm like, uh-huh, okay, mm, the bear, mm, beef, okay, Oppenheimer, oh, okay. Succession. Succession, you know. Uh, I think this is the last year that Maisel's going to get nominated, so I think at the very least. <laughs> yes. Like, I actually just enough. saw a vi- Oh, go ahead, sorry. No, sorry. that's it. Enough, that's it, yeah. Enough, Maisel, enough. Yeah. Um, I saw a TikTok today. I don't know the, the gentleman's name who runs this account, but he's one of my favorite sort of like pop culture TV movie guys. And he was saying that, like, the cutoff for Emmys is a very interesting uh, time of year because, like, one, all the Emmys were delayed because of the writer's strike this year. But I think it's, like, June 1st through, like, October something. And it, like, and all of these shows have ended, like, Succession. And then he said Maisel. And then I can't think of anything else. But there there are a couple shows that have ended their run. Better Call Saul. Yeah. Better Call Saul. Yeah. Where I feel like, uh, or at least I'm stealing his words, but he would say like, or he was saying that um, it could invite a lot of other shows to kind of fill those slots and some new blood, I guess, um, to, you know, for shows that wouldn't be nominated or like actors who wouldn't be nominated. So that's kind of exciting in a way, because even though the Emmys, I watched them, you know, we're kind of getting into like best supporting after show territory here, but I, there isn't anything exciting about watching everyone from succession win it's a show i didn't watch Mm -hmm. whatever um i'm sure it's great in its own way but like i just i don't care um so it should be interesting yeah that's true it you know that that it does really clear the space you know some of these stalwarts for like okay who else is going to get in the mix i mean you know in a way it was like you know just kind of reading the results of the emmys last night and it was like you know jennifer coolidge winning for the white lotus i was like 
my God, how many more times is this woman going to win for the White Lotus? How like yeah. didn't she win for the Emmys last season for the White Lotus for the same season? Like I know, yeah, for season two, it's so weird. It's the so timeline weird. is so skewed. So like there, there is the sense of like, and you know, by the time there's Emmy, the Emmys again next year, we'll have more White Lotus. But uh, yeah, I mean, it makes me think like, oh, where are the little Pen Fifteens and somebody somewheres that are going to sneak into yeah. the race now? You know. That would be exciting. We shall see. Or, you know, the next beef that just, like, you know, sweeps the categories each time, you know? Yeah, I was so excited and surprised that beef, because it felt like, you know, it felt like decades ago at this point that beef yeah. came out and yeah. that sort of swept the nation. So happy to see that. But um, but I guess we should get back to the holdovers. Yeah, right? well, let's talk about the holdovers. The holdovers is indeed, uh, you know, a, a sort of a, its own little its own little Christmas movie I actually felt like it very much reminded me in some ways of my, my holiday season this year. Cause I was just like hanging out in New York, you know, and then I had COVID. Yeah. So it was just like, huh, maybe, you know, it's probably better. I didn't watch this like while I was in the throes of being sick during the holidays, but <laughs> yeah. uh, it, for anyone who spends the holidays alone or, you know, it's just kind of like, Oh, whatever. It's just, I'm just going to treat it like another day. The holdovers is certainly your movie. Yeah, I watched it. The first time I watched it was when I had COVID in New Hampshire, uh, but it was after Christmas. So I was, you know, I was fine. But yeah, it is an interesting watch, like by yourself, uh, as opposed to maybe like a group of friends or a movie theater. But um, I think even still too, like the um, the opening credits of this, like you mentioned a couple of weeks back, and I've been meaning to text you about this. What was that one it was a style, like it was a director or like a, I think it was a director of like these classic Christmas movies. You're like, oh, if you love this like color palette, you would love these types of movies. Do you remember that? Yeah. So he uh, he has a, a, a handful of like uh, melodramas from the 50s. It's Douglas Sirk, S-I-R-K. Okay. I need to remember that and like mm-hmm. write that down because, and again, not, you know, different decade, but there's something so like, I love all of just like, the the opening credits of this it really does take you back to a different time and i love the font of this poster too i know that's like a silly thing to say but like i think it's just like the perfect font and like the it just gives this like i think it was like filmed in a certain type of camera as well too i can't remember like all these details but um yeah they did like like, it was like it was all like digital but they like did a bunch of like filters and and ways of doing it to like make it look like film yeah yeah to make it look (laughs) like a 70s movie um yeah and i i just i think that was something that really felt homey to me and felt cozy um but i mean i want to turn it back to you i you know we've talked so much about davina but like opening thoughts of of the holdovers what did you what did you feel what did you like you know, I I was watching a YouTube video, I don't know, months ago, but it was, and I think I actually, maybe I, I assigned it to you at some point, but it, I think the guy was talking about like the, the evolution in terms of movies where there was basically, there was this kind of middle class of like middle, like mid budget movies where it was like, it's not a big superhero epic. It's not a little indie movie, but it's like in the nineties, it would have been like a romantic comedy. You know, it would have been like something where it's just like maybe a lot of things that end up on Netflix now or just go straight to streaming. But it's just this certain like it's essentially like the disappearing middle class of 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 cinema to use a, you know, to use a buzzword. Um, And I feel like this like 
it's funny because I feel like this movie and Saltburn are like strange cousins because they both involve like boys at boarding school and you know oh, yeah yes, breaks yes, yes. and things like that. Um, it's kind of like Saltburn. It's like is a parallel story where like oh these are the guys who went home for for vacation while the holdovers yeah. are the people who stay. Um, even though it's all different time periods, whatever you know, sure. indulge my fantasy. So um, I just feel like movies like that. Saltburn and the holdovers i feel like they're kind of a a, a t- uh, they bring me back to that middle class of like it's a movie with a medium-sized budget that has some recognizable names in it it's you know it, it's not relegated straight to streaming like i think it's not the beginning of a franchise there's not going to be a sequel to either of these movies um yeah. like i think there's something about it like that was one thing I really appreciated about the holdovers was that it was in and of itself was a complete story and a complete movie and had done everything it was attempting to do in the one movie. It wasn't like creating the holdovers cinematic universe. And, um, yeah. And that felt, yeah, like that was very refreshing. It, it, it felt like a movie that I really wanted to recommend to my parents. Oh, for sure. Like I, it would definitely be something I'd watch like, on a Christmas Eve with my parents. Like it's interesting. Cause I, the first time I watched it, I really, really, really loved it. I was like, this is the, my favorite movie I've watched so far out of like all the Oscar movies. And the second time I watched it, I still really liked it, but I do think the time, the runtime is crazy. I don't think it needs to be two hours and like 14 minutes long. I think it's like the second time I found myself looking at my phone a lot um, and, and just kind of, and maybe it's just because I was like wrangling Lucy or whatever, but um, I, I don't know what I would cut because there are some things that like are important for like stuff that f- unfolds later. Um, but with that being said too, I, I, I did still really like it. I don't know if I'll watch it every Christmas, but like I, I want to watch it with Keon eventually. I think he would really like it as well. It's it in ways it kind of is this paint by numbers sort of um, what's the movie that it reminds me of a uh, sort of like a goodwill hunting sort mm-hmm. of situation, like in the seventies meets like dead poet society, but kind of not like, it's just like this, like pieces from different movies, like the curmudgeon teacher, the unruly boy, um, but then you have Mary thrown in the mix too, which I do think is an interesting ingredient in the movie. And everyone sort of, I guess, like I feel that everyone is kind of grieving something in a way. I feel like Mary is grieving the loss of her son. I feel like, um, oh, what's the what's the kid's name? Angus. Uh, Angus is kind of grieving like the loss of his father and like also his like childhood in a way and i feel like at the end it's like paul mr hunnam is kind of grieving you know his his pat like his life or the life that he thought he knew i guess too and he's sort of being thrust in this new chapter so that was kind of like an exciting way to watch it the second time for me uh, because there are like sort of things that happen you're like well yeah i knew that was going to happen and i knew this was sort of like you know it's sort of like you said it's like it's not really a romantic comedy type of movie at all, really, but um, there are those familiar steps along the way, if that makes sense. Yeah, like I think it's I, – I I kind of knew how it was going to end in – you yeah. know, or had a sense, or by the time it had ended, I was like, yeah, this is kind of what I expected. This is pretty much how I thought things would yeah. wrap up. And, and, I, and that's – I think there is something deliberately 
familiar and comfortable about this movie. This the sort of the feeling that you're watching a movie from 1971, and like even some of the editing and the like, you know, the zoom outs or the or the fades or the you know different transitions from scenes. Like you know, there's just like certain ways in which this is supposed to feel familiar, you know? And like, mm-hmm. and in a way it's like, man, if this was a movie from the seventies and like Mary was played by like Esther roll or something like that. And, yeah. you know, and Paul was, I don't even know who would play Paul. I, I don't know who yeah. men are, but like, I would probably love this movie. A, because yeah. I think Esther roll would knock it out of the park, but B, because it's like, <laughs> I love, I love what the, the inspiration is of this. Like, I love the aesthetic that it's, you know, hearkening to or the feeling that it's hearkening to of these, like, you know, th- these movies from the seventies, like there's I, this one director, Hal Ashby that I saw people referring to it. Um, and he directed, have you ever heard of Harold and Maude? Um, yeah, of he course. directed that. Yeah. And there was actually, there's this other movie that people kept referring to called the last detail that I've never Ooh. seen. But if you look it up, it, I remember it being on the shelf in the video store by the horror movie aisle, and I never wanted to go look at it because it looks like a gay porn. Um, it's like have, have you? It's like Jack Nicholson in like a you know sailor's hat with a cigar and no shirt on. Like it's very. Um, <laughs> so for the longest time, I always thought that movie was like about like a gay sailor. I don't think it is interesting um but you know prove me wrong um so like yeah so like i think in a way if 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 there was some big shocking twist at the end i would be disappointed i'd be like oh you brought me back to 2023 you know yeah i think i much prefer the goodbye with mr hunnam and angus to the goodbye of mary and mr hunnam like it's just like that whole notebook thing i was like barf (laughs) what i mean i'm just like Mm -hmm. she's like well you're gonna write your book you're gonna need a you know there's a lot of pages here mary i'm just like all right yeah you know it's what i at that point i didn't need to see mary anymore like i don't even know what she said to her sister what happened there give give me a sister moment in boston like yeah she just came back and i'm like well what, what did she sort out her grief like talk to me about that I think that's where, because the the movie gave us like only like some moments during a montage, but I think that's where I really, we really could have gotten a different perspective of Mary because I feel like what what, the little we saw when she went to her sisters, you know, we saw her breaking down and them crying, but we also saw them like sitting on the bed and laughing. And I feel like we needed to see Mary not the manager of the cafeteria not cooking for everybody yes. not yes. just smoking a cigarette in an apron we needed to see who's mary at home and i think that would have rounded out the character and would have been a reference point to when we see who she is with paul and angus and when she's back at the school yeah i just don't think she figured anything out and i know obviously like losing her son like grief is like it and it doesn't end you know, but I, I needed her to reconnect with her sister and have if, if they would have added five more minutes to the kitchen scene and then did what you just said, like now we're cooking with gas. Yeah. Then I'd be like, oh, man, I, give this woman an Oscar. Absolutely. Yeah. But I just didn't get those things. But in the meantime, I mean, uh, you know, in terms of in terms of Oscar buzz, you know, and for anyone who doesn't know, the, the story is that, you know, Paul Giamatti, who, you know, 
could potentially win an Oscar for this role, plays this professor at this uh, boys' boarding school who is charged with watching the holdovers, the kids who stay on campus during the Christmas break. And that includes Angus, whose mother and her new husband have gone off to St. Kitts and have treated their family vacation as now their honeymoon and uninvited him. And, you know, uh, as the other boys, and who I thought were interesting characters, um, especially yeah. the two the the two sort of younger looking ones, little Mormon ones, or the um yes. uh, whatever they were. I was I was intrigued by them. But like uh yeah, eventually it narrows, you know, they all leave with that one kid on his father's helicopter to go on a skiing vacation, and it's just uh Paul and Angus and Mary, you know, on a college campus. And then that guy, what's his name? Uh he was like the janitor. Danny. Danny. I love Danny. Danny. Such a sweetie. He was a sweetie. I, I like Danny. Um, but yeah, so, but anyway, but speaking of Oscar buzz, meanwhile, Paul Giamatti indeed is playing a character named Paul because if ever there was a more Paul Giamatti character, <laughs> I have not seen him. It's so true. It's like, I feel like it was written for him. It plays to his strengths. I think he's such a lovable, funny curmudgeon i think he i really love when he screams i wish he screamed a little bit more but i did love when he yelled at that like asshole kid about like his comments about mary it's like he's you know it's like the whole movie you're you with a character like that you're always wondering why are you acting like this or like what what happened to you i guess too so and we do get those details later too but in general i still really love this performance i don't know what it is i can't really control my love for Paul Giamatti this year. I just, I feel like it's such a cool win. If it does happen, it feels like akin to like William H. Macy winning or something. There's that mm -hmm. like category of men in Hollywood that have been around forever that like, it'd be so cool to watch him win an Oscar. It would feel like, you know, for the role and for the career. Um, and he is great in this. I, since I was kind of thinking about, you know, alternate casting with Mary, I was like, well, and it, you know, if Paul was who, who else would I see in this role? And of course I thought, oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I, if, you know, <gasps> yeah. he's still around, would probably be incredible in this role. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But there is something, it's like, you know, Paul, Paul like one thing that I loved and I, I've been waiting to talk about this is like his his wandering eye, the lazy eye mm -hmm. of Paul Giamatti. And I was thinking the exact same question that Angus asked him at the bowling alley. It's like, what what eye do I look into? And it right. was I laughed so hard when Angus finally asked that. Um, I just thought it was so like funny. And I love the way that he finally revealed it. Like, I thought that was a perfect time mm -hmm. for him to say like it's this eye like i really really loved that um but yeah there are so many things that are sort of custom like tailored to paul giamatti and like the weirdness and sort of quirkiness and curmudgeonness that he naturally brings and i think with his character you know it's like with this character of paul and i think that question of like what what happened to him for him to be someone who like went to the school graduated went to harvard i mean we do find out that he got kicked out of harvard and which which i think is partially i think is a a thing that happened is he was you know unjustly kicked out of harvard and then you know was kind of given a mercy job to come back as an adjunct professor here i feel like 
that's like part of what, like, that's why Paul teaches at this school and doesn't teach at a college. But I feel like then there's that question of like, yeah, but what else happened to you? Like, or did nothing happen? Or did all of those circumstances lead so that, because I think that's, that's kind of what I was reading was with this character. It's like, it's that nothing happens. It's that he, you know, really didn't encounter opportunities to like meet somebody or to grow beyond just being this teacher or, you know, kind of, I don't know. Like he, he's somebody who I I think feels like life just kind of passed by. And I feel like there's, I feel like there's a lot of people and a lot of men in particular who are like this. And I don't know. I really like, I think, I think it, it's perfect. He's perfect casting for that kind of person. But like it, it, there, there's really like a sad heart there to like, I think what happened to Paul is nothing happened, you know? Yeah. I watching it the second time too. It's like, it's in, it's a really interesting line to toe, like as an actor, I guess too, but also like in the writing is like, you can't make him that much of an asshole. Like when, I mean, I can't wait to talk about Carrie Preston, Miss Crane. Yeah. Um, Yes. um, Lady Crane. Uh, But like when she gives him the cookies and he doesn't say thank you, but he just closes the door. You know, he's not a complete dick, but like everyone, you know, he's not. It, it, it's like, what's the difference between Paul Hunnam and um, and Barbara Covet? You know what I mean? Oh, like they're yeah. both these sort of like battle axes of their universities or like or school, whatever you want to call it. But you still are kind of rooting for them. There's still something. I mean, I wouldn't call Barbara Covet quirky. But like you do, you're interested. There's something there that I think, you know, and I think that's part of the performance as well, too. And like, you know, Judy Dench and Paul Giamatti and both of their perspective roles. But yeah, it's like because like the trope is curmudgeon professor has this connection with these two other people. He softens up a little bit, Mm -hmm. but he's still kind of the same guy in a way at the end, too. But like, I think it's. You know, there's something to fight for, right? or not fight for, you know, we'll talk about the ending when we get there. But um, uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of trailing off in my thoughts here, too. But I, I do think it was written well enough where you're still kind of laughing at him a lot. Like, I love when he yells Angus and his voice cracks or, you know, when he's drunk getting into bed and he says, Monet, Monet, Picasso. And then he farts really loud. Yeah. <laughs> I know you probably hated that, but I laughed both times I watched this, I just thought it was so funny and so real, like, you know, just falling into bed drunk and just like saying shit out loud, I thought was very human. Yeah. I, I, even though he was, you know, yeah, he certainly plays it like a jerk. It's like, I, I felt for him and it is interesting to think about Paul in comparison to Barbara Covet. And it's like, it's kind of the same idea. It's somebody that like there, I feel like it. it's, it's a really fascinating idea of somebody who you just like the, the, the checkpoints and the bus stops of life, they just kept missing them. And they, they then kind of started to be forgotten and they've, they've become a bit invisible. And so I think over time it's like they're of course, like their social skills then like either never develop or they deteriorate. And so we see that with Paul when he doesn't say thanks for the cookies or when they're at the bar and he like leans over and, and talks to that guy dressed as the Santa Claus. <laughs> I love, love that. Yes. Yeah. Go, keep going. And yes. it's like, he's just, his social skills have just completely, uh, you know, uh, 
deteriorated and it's like the only place where he's like really self-assured is in the classroom when he wields the power as the teacher but like outside of that like at, you know lydia's party or at the bar or at so many different situations he's like he, he has none of that confidence and so and you know of course it's like the the classroom of this school it's like that's where he spent most of his life either as a student or a teacher yeah, I think there's a lot of like, if I was to describe his character, like I think he's very bitter. He's bitter against like the rich kids that he has to teach. And like he had, like you said, he wields that power. He has the power now to sort of not give a shit and fail students that, you know, that are just doing like for the exact same reason. He got kicked out of Car Harvard, Harvard, because he, you know, the some rich kid said that he cheated off, you know, am I saying this right? Like, yeah, uh, was, yeah. Help me here. There was a kid who's like <laughs> some rich kid who's like you know name was on a library. His family name was on the library. He was cheating off of Paul's paper or plagiarized something that Paul had written, and then you know accused Paul of cheating off of him. But because of his name and his money, you know, Paul got kicked out. Yes, and I think the entire movie, or like I think all of Paul's life, he's just. I think he's a genius. Like, I think he would, he got kicked out freshman year, but like he could have really been somebody, I guess, because the way that he talks to just, you know, the Barton kids and like, even like adults, it's sort of this like nervous tick where he's like, well, uh, Sophocles once said the blah, 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 blah. But like, it, he needs someone to spar with, but he's never really had that. It's like this like untapped potential of what he could have been, but he's kind of the smartest guy at the school, but he's also the biggest asshole and it doesn't like mix. Right. Cause like nobody wants to have that conversation with him. And then of course there's like the fact that he's got this like other condition that where he can't break down certain enzymes oh, and yes. he smells like fish and he's got hyperhidrosis and he's got sweaty palms. So it's like, he's, it's a really like, it's so tragic where she's like, Oh my God. Like not that, you know, that person, you know, who has all those things as a leper, but it's like, he just has like strike against strike against strike against him connecting with other people. So, Cause it's like either he weirds them out with something he said, or they think he smells bad or he gives them a clammy handshake. Like he just like the guy can't win. And I think in a way when it gets to the end of the movie, it's like, yeah, it's kind of hopeful, but it's also like, similar to your point about Mary and her visit to her sister. It's like, okay, so did you work everything out? Cause like, yeah. you're still Paul Hunnam just because he got a U-Haul in the back of your Chevy, you know, like, yeah, I, it's, I, it's hopeful, but I, I feel like I would have almost expected in a way, like, I don't know if you've seen or if you're familiar with the ending of the graduate. No, but I know that like scene in the car, if that if that's what you're talking about, like when they're when they pull away at the end, yes, and, on, in the bus yeah. at the end, yes, yes, yes. and there's and oh yeah, it's a bus, and they're in the back of the bus, and there's kind of that like yes, we did it, we ran away together, but then it's like then the camera just stays on them, and they're just kind of like sort of like a I think a, a fading yeah. face journey of like what did we just do, and like you know the reality hits of like okay, well now what, and I feel like by the end of the movie, I mean they're really like it's like sure we have a sense of like oh angus angus is like 17 so like there's a chance for him to kind of grow and change and evolve and really grow from this two weeks you know with mary and paul but like paul's like what in his late 50s and his 60s like paul he, i i 
I think the true ending is that, like, that person doesn't change regardless of the fact that they've lost their job and that they are now free to go wherever they want. Yeah. Or that he would have just said, yeah, it was Angus's idea and kick him out because it's like he says it earlier in the movie that Barton is his life. Like he's like, I don't know what I would do without Barton. So it feels like such a shift for him to, you know, at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, folks, uh, you know, go watch the movie. But uh, they Angus's parents I'll get this so complicated, too. But like Angus's dad is in a mental institute. They go to Boston and visit him and then like stuff goes awry and then Angus's parents come to the university and they're pissed. But they surprisingly, too, like I feel it's it's such a sign of the times. Like I feel like the teacher would be blamed first and it would not be Angus. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because he was technically under Paul's supervision or whatever. And they initially wanted to throw Angus out. But, you know, and I guess really the drive behind that is that. Paul was kicked out of Harvard and he sees himself in Angus and that's what drives that. But I do love that face journey of him making that decision, I will say. In that yeah. Office. And I, yeah. and I think it's like, you know, exactly. Like I think he sees a part of himself in Angus. He sees where it's like, if I, if, if he was given a second chance, what could he have possibly done? And he sees that yeah. opportunity to like, you know, basically to give, you know, to give his, you know, place in Barton in a way. I mean, like to give his narrative to Angus of like, here, you continue at Barton. I, you know, my, I need to end this journey. And yeah, he really gives Angus the second chance. Um, you know, it's like he gives Angus a second chance. And then I guess in a way it's like, he's giving himself a second chance. But like, again, I just don't know what this guy's going to do. You know, like I I thought there was going to be like an epilogue where he was like on a beach in Florida, you know, sipping a cocktail or in Greece or or something. Right. Like some of those cliches where it's just like, Oh yeah, I'm doing great. You know? And then it's just like the camera just pans away of him like on a beach, you know, in sunglasses. Yeah. I I thought in a way that he was going to throw the bottle of whiskey out the window. I thought because like mm. he is a drunk too. Like it's something we didn't mention, but like he loved the guy loves to drink. Um mm-hmm. and it's sort of just part of his whole trudging through life formula. Like, yeah, I, I teach and I guess he likes it, quote unquote, but he also likes he likes to drink to kind of help him get through it too. So it's interesting that he sort of swishes it in his mouth and spits it out. Um, don't know, you know, I don't know if there's anything behind that. Or just like just something him just that... spitting on the school, yeah. Um, I guess so, yeah. But um, yeah, that's true. He leaves and he's got a, a bottle of whiskey in his lap while he drives away. So part of me thought, no seatbelt, no seatbelt. Of <laughs> course, I thought, oh my god, a truck's gonna come and hit him, and that's gonna be the end. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. I mean, I I have to say, like that Santa Claus scene is one of my top three like scenes, and like it made me laugh so hard, like he's trying so hard to connect with people like, and he just doesn't know how, but like, I do think maybe this is a good Mm. transition to talk about a Carrie Preston as Lydia Crane. What are your thoughts? Yes. I mean, I think where we may be having question marks about Dave, I enjoy Randolph as, as BSA of this movie. I, I think quintessential assistant to the BSA On the shelf with Jane Alexander and Terry Garr, some of our OG assistants to the BSA, Carrie Preston as as Lydia Crane, who's like an administrator at the school, um, who, you know, 
it's, it's just like a lovely presence. Yeah, it gives Paul some some Christmas cookies and then later invites yep. him and Mary and Angus to a, a Christmas Eve party at her house. And it turns out she's also a waitress at the at the the bar. Love that scene. Too. Love yes. that. And she is phenomenal in this. I yes loved her in this. I think she is like such good casting, such a great character. Just like in it, like just enough. Oh, I yeah. You know, this is the reason to watch is Carrie Preston. She's so good at yeah. This. She really tore it up. This she thing. tore it up like, this thing. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like the line Miss Crane, as I live and breathe. Like when he said that, like that's exactly what I was thinking in my head when she came back at the end. Yeah, I was just like, oh, I missed you. You're back, and like, yeah, like great energy. I just I can't imagine. I don't want to say I can't imagine anyone else playing her, but like I, I, I'm so glad she exists in this movie. I'm so glad that it it sort of served as this kind of, you know, very short romantic entanglement, but kind of not really. Like it's kind of just starting to take off, and like I feel that he's able to connect with her. You know, he tries his own little. I think she's able to understand him and like say things back to him that aren't really in his language, but like make sense to him. Like when he's like, well. Pericles once said this and she's like well then you know that's exactly why they need men like you right now and it's like Mm -hmm. a genuine compliment and like you can see him sort of light up a little bit and then you know at the Christmas party we learn that she has a husband and I'm just like oh oh and it's it's, so heartbreaking it's a great shot of him just like sort of dissolving sitting or you know his eyes get a little welled up while she's like in the in the background kissing her husband or her boyfriend or whoever it is and it was and I loved it because I think it, well, I part of me was like, "Ooh, I love this potential love interest with with Miss Crane." I think this was so much more impactful. It wasn't that they yep. went on a date and she didn't like him. It wasn't anything tragic. She wasn't leading him on. She was just being nice, and it's just like again, like this is such a reality for a person like this that they meet somebody that they connect with, but that person's already taken, you know, and yeah. and it just like further kind of sidelines him of like you're just a guest at this party that's all this ever was you know yeah because i guess my question was like how did how did paul not know about miss crane like why was he not interested in like in her before that but i guess it's because of angus like they kind of have good chemistry at that when they're ordering the cheeseburgers like every time i I just want a cheeseburger from that place but yeah like i that's where I'm, I need to go there. I love the Christmas decorations. I just need a cheeseburger and a Miller High Life. Champagne of <laughs> beers. Like, yeah. Ugh, and just to talk with Miss Crane. Like, I love that she's a server. She's probably the best server in that joint. Oh, she's great. Like, I just, yeah, she, and I guess it's like, you know, up until that point, you know, he had only really kind of seen her as a coworker, and, you know, probably never really broached like personal conversations yes. with her. He only ever called her Miss Crane. And so it wasn't until, you know, he he got roped into her, you know, kind of fooled into being the, you know, the holdover babysitter. And that's why he saw her as the waitress at the, at the diner and, you know, um, took yeah. it from there. But yeah, I, I think it's, uh, yeah, there, I, I feel like if, I don't know who I would cast in this role if this was the 70s or somebody else. I don't think I'd want to cast anybody else. I think Carrie Preston yeah. is perfect in this role. 
She really is. And I just, I love her outfits. I love her like stockings in the last, the last time mm-hmm. we see her, I think I feel like they're these white stockings maybe. I, yeah. I can't remember. Her, but... Yeah. Her Christmas party outfit, her like yellow sweater, I think. Yes. Oh, yeah. Great she, house. Great yeah. house. Uh, yeah. She was great. She really, um, she was such a relief. Like she was just such a lovely energy. And in a way I was also like, I don't want anything bad to happen to her. I just want only good things. I don't want her to get no one throw any snowballs at Miss Crane. Nothing. Yeah. Protect her at all costs. I'm so glad I knew you would love her. I was just like, ah, yeah, she's the best. She was great. Yeah. Really, really great. So, and you know, I think it's worth mentioning, you know, Dominic Sessa in his, in his, you know, first role. I thought he was great in this. I thought, uh, a, I was so glad it wasn't Timothy Chalamet. Oh God, I know. I'm so done with him. See, I don't know if I'm just like an elder millennial, just being cranky. I think, like watching even the trailer for Wonka, he does not have one ounce of charisma. No, I don't. Or ugh. joy, or a twinkle in his eye. Like I'm like, he should be playing Edward Scissorhands instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he should be playing the Winona Ryder role at Edward Scissorhands. Like he's just <laughs> spinning around in the snow. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I just enough with him. Enough of him. Um, I just can't. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Woof. Enough of that one. So yeah, I think Dominic Sessa. He just has great delivery, great energy. I, uh, I thought he was great. Uh, great, great, great. A great debut. Great debut. Yeah, I think he fits right into the um, the time period as well. And he's like a he's a good boy. Like he's a troubled boy. Mm-hmm. But you know, he's even when like all five of the boys were sort of there, he was, you know, kind of a peacemaker in ways. Yeah, he was nice. That one kid, Yajun, who uh, had yeah, the, wet the bed, wet the bed, and I thought that I appreciated that he wasn't also an asshole. You know, I well, all those boys were still there. I thought the little kind of micro moment or the little kind of mini scene with the with the one kid's glove was yes. so interesting. Where that asshole Coons like takes off his glove and throws it in the river for like ratting on him or whatever, and then uh angus was like oh yeah he only th- you know he or- orphans one glove you know because it'll make the loss that much more painful and so then the kid alex takes off his other glove and throws it into the river and it that was such a scene from a movie in the 70s it was so like profound moment in a movie in the 70s i loved it yeah i just i was yeah. like yeah i was like yeah work i love this take take back your power alex yeah, yeah. um <laughs> and I thought that other the the boy with the long hair with the rich dad Jason I, I thought he just seemed he seemed like a nice person and I thought you know yes thank God he had a terrible wig though terrible oh wig. yeah yeah it was like a I don't even know what to call it but uh, you know when he cut his hair he looked super hot because that was him yes. at the end coming out of the shower yep. right oh yeah 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 I was like oh I mean let me just make sure you're of age that's... gorgeous yes um and that little asshole coons I just needed someone to punch him in the face I just yes mean mean boarding school assholes like this if they don't get like a bloody nose before the end of the movie I'm not happy yeah I I needed someone to throw a something heavy at his head yeah you know i guess that equivalent is him getting like sunburned from the snow i was like is that a thing yeah i I don't know i don't ski too often but you know the sun reflects off the snow and so i guess that makes sense 
Yeah. And Paul's like, Mr. Koontz, or should I say Icarus? Like, I, yeah. I just love it. I love when he goes into that mode. Like, it make, it's it just it makes me laugh. He just needs to find some, like, nerdy librarian who gets all his <laughs> jokes, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. He's great. Well, you know, you're the holdovers. You know, I think this was... I. I appreciate this movie and and to yeah. round out a conversation I like Mary. I really like the yeah, character same. of Mary. I I like the character on paper. I've got nothing against Dave one Dave one Davine Joy Randolph. I just think that I need someone to tell me why this is you know yeah. on why Beatrice Strait got the same award in the seventies. Why you know what I mean? I just need to know. I I just need to. I just want someone to tell me why. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter can, or like I can run to Texas and back, but my daughter. Can. Um, I I have a couple closing thoughts, and like why we're on the the topic of Dave Vine too, like. I let's talk about that kitchen scene. So she gets drunk at the Christmas party. She's overwhelmed with her grief. And it's, it's sort of like the, the tipping point, the cup is filled and we're, we're seeing the three men sort of like rally and sort of just let her do whatever is coming up and like, whatever's like bubbling to the surface. And like, it's so beautiful when she's like, he's gone. And she just kind of like, and she has her shoes off, which I loved. And I just thought there was this whole monologue that was going to happen, like Mm -hmm. about grieving her son and how lonely she is and how like no one understands. And like that we would maybe just get a little peek into that. Like, and maybe there was something, I don't know, but like, I just, I even hate how that scene is cut. Like, it's just like, he's gone. And then she cries like silently sobbing and then they're out in the driveway like two seconds later it's like a smash cut yeah it really felt like like, no that's not what i want (laughs) that was the moment like it just there what yeah i know i i just don't know i just don't know you know uh yeah i I just don't know i just don't know i just don't know i do love um a scene that I laughed at twice is in like the montage where like what's his face comes out of the shower and his hair is shorter. We see Mary in the kitchen and she yells at that lady. She's like, oh. it's too much paprika. Oh. Why'd you put in all that paprika? Now you have to add a third, a cup of water. What's wrong with you? Like that made me LOL, even though that's like, she's being very mean to that lady. I don't know why that tickled me as well. So that was, Oh, I felt so that was bad a nice Mary woman. moment. I felt so bad. For I that know. Woman. I was like, oh, don't yell at me. Paprika has like no flavor, by the it way. It doesn't. Yeah. By the way, it's mostly color. Like <laughs> it's just like food dye. Exactly. I don't know what's in paprika. What it, is it made of? It's it's yeah. just red food dye. It's it. That's all it does. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, speaking of red, um, we have an alumni of the fighter in this movie when Angus and Paul are in Boston, the woman who plays the hooker, her name is Melissa McMeekin McMeekin. And she plays one of the sisters in the fighter. Really? Yes. I was like, I clocked her right away. I was so excited for it. Wow. Um, And I just had to mention that. So very excited. She's a Boston gal. That woman, like she had such a, like one of those, like, Boston faces like one of those sisters yes. oh yeah. yeah 
to oh, look she's at one her. of the best sisters in the bunch. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's that other sister that I'm afraid of. I, I gotta look her up. Oh, yeah. the, <laughs> the other one, with one the high hair. The yeah. one, yeah, the one with the high hair and the mean eyes. That. Th- yep. Let me just look her up before we go because. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's that Melissa. whole porch scene. Oh God, the fighter. Oh, the fighter. fighter. I know. Uh, is it Kathy Pork Eklund? Could be. Could Kathy be. Pork. That, yeah, Kathy Pork. Um, yeah, I uh, think it we'll might be. We'll go with that. Yeah. I, oh I no, it it's, up, but I... it's Jill Quigg. You know why? Because she was also in Gone Baby Gone. Oh, that's right. It's Jill Quigg. There's she Melissa. doesn't have an IMDb yeah. picture, but if you click, she doesn't. Okay, she is in a photo in the background with Amy Adams and Gone Baby Gone. And it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I'm yes, terrified yes. of Jill She Quig. looks like an Amy Poehler SNL character. Yeah. Right? Like, yes, yes. Who's also from Boston, right? I feel like Amy's from Boston. Maybe. Sure. Yeah, why yeah. not? Uh, no, that woman, I'm terrified of Jill Quigg. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. I, I, let's see. Have we done? We have. We've done the Jill Quigg cinematic cycle. We've done both The Fighter yes. and Gone Baby Gone. We have covered everything that Jill Quigg's ever done. Love that. Ugh. Yeah. The ring, the circle is complete. By the way, Amy Poehler is from Newton, Massachusetts, so she oh. knows Boston. Yeah, she knows Jill Quigg. That's right. <laughs> Man. Ugh. But yeah, the holdovers. I, I'm glad. I'm, I'm excited to see... What happens to Paul? I'm I'm rooting for him. I feel like he's a dark horse. I know Killian Murphy's. I wouldn't say sweeping, but I do love that Paul has this like you know it's kind of between them two. I feel. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I feel like at this point, you know, Bradley Cooper will get nominated, but I feel like you know, I don't know. I didn't see that movie. I just feel like he's not gonna win, right? He's not gonna win. I don't think so. I feel like he's just. I don't know. The momentum is lost and it feels like he's trying too hard, but maybe that's just TikTok telling me what to think, you know? Maybe. I, all I know is that he's a man, a horribly aging man. <laughs> man. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, anyway, it turns out that we are being played off. I have no other way to tell you this except to just bluntly tell you this up front. It's happening on a record player. Oh. Perfect. Where can folks find more of you? They can find me on my other podcast, The Good Vanilla, which is a Barefoot Contessa podcast, or you can follow me on Instagram at Nick Kachanov. How about you? Well, you can find more of me on All Right Mary, where we're currently covering season 16 of RuPaul's Drag Race. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at Contractor underscore. And of course, you can get more of both of us in a best supporting capacity on Instagram at BSA Pod. Or you can send us an email at thebsapod at gmail.com. And hold your peepers over a peeler so that they can be peeled so then you'll have peeled peepers because the best supporting after show is coming around the corner and we have got to catch up on these Emmys we got to catch up on some other things that we've been watching we might have some yeah. TikTok talk catch up on some Lucy updates uh, yes. you know you've heard of Sal- Sally Bowles get ready for Lucy Bowles everybody <laughs> there it is yes yeah. <laughs> it's my drag name yeah yes. and that's all at patreon.com slash pod. It's going to be a good one, folks. Well, I think it's time for you and I to get into two pre-unleashed straight at yourselves named Ruth and Cheryl and get the hell out of Stepford. I'm ready. You sound ready. So that, as they say. And that, as they say. Is that. 
I had to say it twice. I don't know if you heard me. The first I know. Time. I, I got. I caught. I was just like waiting. I was like, he'll come back. He'll come back. 